in the service entrance, the radio show on 105.5 FM, WLP, NLP, Chicago. It's Lumpin' Radio. It's Mario. How you doing, everybody? Hope you're having a great afternoon. My next guest, this man, along with Brother Lawrence Holmes and Brother uh, Jason Goff, are one of the reasons why I made a, a conscious decision years ago to not quit doing the radio show when I was over at the shack at the uh, University of Chicago. Uh, he is a, has been a, a long time voice on Chicago radio, and and I, I, I I'm not a good friend at all because I haven't talked to him in forever. But uh, Jonathan used to be on the show quite a bit. Uh, we would often get interrupted by Sam Greenlee, if I remember correctly, John. <laughs> uh, <laughs> joining us from ESPN 1000, the new home of the Chicago White Sox, and one of the hosts of the show, Cap and Hood, ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Hood. Is on the show. What's up, Hood? The mayor of Hyde Park. Oh, that's funny. What's you too, on? huh? How do you know these things? Nobody call. Oh my God, I'm well, good, man. Everything is cool. Well, wait a minute. Well, how does? Wait a minute. Everybody knows that. that Everybody is crazy. knows. Before it was regentrified, Mario was the mayor <laughs> then too. Before there was a Whole Foods and a Mediterranean like a sub shop. <laughs> we're there. You were there at the ground floor of Pine Park. I suppose. Okay. Anyway, uh, hey, how's it going, man? This is this has been a, a quite a run for you. How many years is it now that you've been since? And I will say it proudly since the WKKC era. So that goes back to 1991. Wow. So that is, so that is pre-internet. That is carts and that's uh, actual vinyl and not, yeah. and not even cds cds were uh, just becoming an emerging thing so i go back to 1991 with pink house at kkc where um i was awestruck by seeing pink house for the first time because he was the guy and yep. the program director says this kid knows sports so he's going to take an hour away from your rap show your very very popular rap show on saturdays and i was like hi mr mr house um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I look forward to working with you. He's like, it's all good, man. Do your thing. And I was like, wow. I mean, that just melted me. Like, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that goes back a while. So I've been doing this a long time. Isidore Pink, man. One, two, one, two. I missed that dude. That was uh, that was one amazing cat. Really, really good time. You know, when I started catching on to you was at the very beginnings of WSTR, of the score. Mm -hmm. And and you were one of two black voices, three black voices, because it was yourself, Jerry Riles, Dan Jiggins. Mm -hmm. and, and, if, and if I'm missing any black people, please let me know. Um, Tommy Williams. And Tommy Williams. Thank you. I knew it was one. Um, then at that, at the beginnings of what turns out to be probably the greatest city to have a sports talk radio station in, um, it was kind of rough times for, for the beginnings of that, that outfit. But you guys were the voices of it and connected really quickly with the hood and with people who looked and sounded a lot like you. What was it like back then in that time to be on not just on the score, but to also have a, a, a responsibility you may not have even thought you were having or wanted? So, Mario, I was working uh, while I was at KKC in college, at Kennedy King College. I was working at Jewel. And... <clears throat> I was an interior shelf decorator, um, which is a fancy term for stacking shelves. 
Um, and so as an interior show decorator, oh, one day I'm, I'm sitting in the parking lot at the Jewel on 91st and commercial. And I'm opening up the paper and Robert Beter in his media column said there's going to be a new sports radio station that's coming to Chicago because that was foreign to the city. New York had one. Dallas had one with the ticket. New York had one with the band. And Chicago didn't have an all sports format on the radio. And so I looked at that and I pointed to that piece in the paper and said, you know what? I want to be part of that. I want to do that. And so from there, I was able to obtain an internship, which was rare for me because I came from Kennedy King College. Uh, mm-hmm. people, people that look like me and you don't get those opportunities coming from a junior college. Um, and so entering with Tom Share in the morning, and that was an education, and then working my way through, um, it, was, it was just a great opportunity because it's something I wanted to do. I went after it. Uh, and to be able to work with Dan Jiggins, someone I grew up watching on CBS, you know, people see James Brown now. Well, that was Jiggins a long time ago. Yeah, exactly. Jiggins was in that doing those those CBS sports breaks, got the eye jacket on, and to be able to work with him uh, was great. And uh, Jerry Riles, to be able to work with him, I heard his play-by-play of Loyola um, years ago before I actually met him in '92. So it, it just everything that fell into place, and for black voices to be on the score, I just think that brought everybody into the tent more than more so than just. One set of people, it brought everybody in the tent because it was so new and fresh. I know we got to move <clears throat> kind of quick because I want to make sure that we get everything. But I do want to tell you the wrestling show with you and Lawrence uh, was when I was like, okay, <laughs> he ain't going nowhere. They're going to be around for a while. That was such a good time, man. That was such a good time. Yeah, well, I, you know, Jeff Schwartz, the program director at the time, said, I know you know wrestling. And it was the height of the Monday Night Wars, where on one channel would be World Championship Wrestling on the Turner mm-hmm. Television, and the WWF would be on USA Network. He said, what if, that's the two biggest words in entertainment, Mario, like what if, what yep. if we had a wrestling show after those two shows that were going head-to-head on cable and did like a post-game wrap-up show between 10 and midnight on Monday nights? And I said, sure. And those numbers exploded. You know, I started off first. Lawrence was my producer. I said, Lawrence, you know this as well as I do. You should be my co-host on this. So it makes it an even. And and by the way, Lawrence had to be my co-host because it was two shows to watch. It was WCW and WWF. I said, how about this? You go in this room and watch the WWF. I'll watch WCW and we'll compare notes uh, when the show starts. And that's why he was at it because I couldn't watch four hours of wrestling in a two-hour block. Um, and, And he knew it well. So... Um, it was something that was very unique at the, at the time because there was no all, all wrestling show for two hours on a Monday night. And so, you know, I was happy to be an innovator in that regard. I see the careers of you and Jason Goff and Lawrence Holmes. And I, I'm, I say it all the time. And every time somebody asks me, I, I say it. If not for the three of you guys, man, I would have probably said screw this a long time ago. So I'm telling you, thank you now. <laughs> and I'll say thank you to you again, but all three of you guys, I say it every time I see you, even if it's like just out and I bump into one of those two guys, I haven't seen you as much as I would like, but I tell them all the time, thank you. So I'm saying it to you, man. Thanks. Well, um, I appreciate that. No doubt. Um, okay. New home of the Chicago White Sox. You got this brand new morning show. And by the way, when you see Mr. Kaplan, the, well, the, the, the best dressed man on television, tell him to relax about snowfall, okay? It snows. 
<laughs> I know. I heard all of that. It yeah, snows. I know. I know. It's not, <laughs> yeah. Well, the, what we got on him about is that, yes, it snows, and it's okay to shovel your own walk. That's right. Um, I, like, like, listen, guys like you would not be paying $490 every winter to have your driveway and walk because we're not even getting the winters that we had back in the day. So the idea they could throw out that NBC Sports Chicago money and spend that much money on like two or three inches, like, dude, you must have it like because I couldn't do it. Well, you see his suits. He dresses very nicely. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's the dream, isn't it? That's to what I'm to, talking about. To, to, wear uh, test, to wear test pattern uh, suit jacket and to pay 500 bucks to get your walks shoveled. That's pretty cool. That's a good life. Um, before we even talk about baseball, and, and, and then I'm going to end just talking about football. Yeah, um, Hank Aaron made his transition um, uh, over the weekend. And I know for me, myself, uh, growing up, uh, right the year my mother died, the next year Hank Aaron hit 715. Mm-hmm. So I was in that place as a, as a six, seven-year-old kid where I was just stuck and I didn't know up from down. And I, I've been reflecting about his life. I think I kind of came out of whatever darkness I was in by looking at him and watching him play. And even though they weren't on all the time, those NBC Game of the Week games, most of the time, especially leading up to 715, those were games with either the Cincinnati Reds or with the Atlanta Braves because everybody wanted to catch that home run on television. He was such a polarizing athlete and a humanitarian once those playing days, and even while he was playing, but once those playing days were over, he was just an amazing figure. And his loss this past weekend really shook me up on a personal level. What 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 are your um, memories, if you will, of Frank, I mean, Frank, of Hank Aaron? I, you know, Mario, I think about, um, I think about someone that was a difference maker in our society, right? So he went through what Jackie Robinson went through, which so many black players had to go through. And when you're the first to do something, uh, it is very noteworthy. And so for the amount of stress that he had, and, and you know, we, we talk about stress and we talk about emotional issues that a lot of people have, but I mean, you think about the amount of pressure on Hank Aaron, where you have letters across the country saying, you're black and Babe Ruth is white and he'll always be the home run king. Do not hit that home run to surpass Babe or we'll, we'll, we'll kill you or we'll go after your family or, you know, all of these uh, racial epitaphs that he had to deal with. The amount of stress that guys like him and Jackie Robinson and, and those that were the first to be able to do it was enormous. That's the first thing I think about. Second thing I think about is when he hit that home run, those two white folks were behind him. I said, you know, at the time, if I'm watching that live, I'm like, oh my God, is he going to be okay? Because I didn't, you didn't know if they were chasing him or celebrating with him. You remember this, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, so I'm watching this and like, wow, I remember seeing it as a kid. I'm like, I know that he broke the record, but even during that time, because he had so much stress on him, I'm like, I hope that he's going to be okay getting around the bases, and he did. So I celebrate him because he was able to handle that stress. You know, I know I love how many try to rewrite history like, oh, you know, Hank did this with a smile on his face, and he was happy the whole time. No, he wasn't. Mm. He was, no, he wasn't happy. We, we have to stop trying to rewrite history to think that here's someone that was much maligned, uh, whether it's in the media or through fans, for being the person that he was, and yet he was smiling the whole time. No, there was stress, and there was anger that he had to go through that. 
Um, but you know what? He did it with class. And then afterwards, working with the Braves organization and, and being in the community, that resonates with me as well. So I will always have a, a spot in my heart as a baseball fan for Aaron, for him to be able to break the record, go through what he go, went through, and came out whole on the other side. Two more baseball things really quick because I can't go into the 0.8 manager because I'll just get angry and I don't want to waste the remaining time being angry about that. Take your but, time. Take your but, time. You, you, look, you're a Sox fan. You, if you have a problem with La Russa, you need to, talk, you need to get this out. Don't okay. hold that inside. That's not good. All right, fine. You know what? I, I, I look at the, the, the constitution of this ball club. I look at how they have been constructed and how close they are to really pulling it off. Not just a World Series, but a couple of them in this extended championship run that they are about to be in. They've built this magnificent pitching staff up, and hopefully everybody's arm stays on their body and nobody's legs fall off or anything like that. They've got one of the greatest lineups in the history of the Chicago White Sox right now um, easily if everybody pans out nobody gets hurt they don't have a DH yet I get it but then you bring in Tony La Russa and with Tony La Russa I understand the pedigree and all and I know he hasn't been totally out of baseball but there's there's just so many questions about how he connects with this kind of ball player here's where I am with him and why I think maybe it's a good hire He's, he's managed Ricky Henderson. He managed uh, Jose Canseco, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. He, he managed, um, uh, uh, what's his face? Hit the home Mark runs McGuire. with Sammy Sosa. McGuire. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's managed different personalities over his career and handled them well. I see those St. Louis years, though, and I'm like, I don't know if I want that dude in that clubhouse. I remember the winning ugly years. And I'm kind of on the fence about those years with him in that clubhouse. How does he do it with this team? They've given him a two-year deal. So the White Sox are saying, we're either doing it this year or we're doing it next year, but we're about to do it, and you're going to be the guy to make it happen. How do you think this is going to play out with La Russa? The hope is is that with him being the manager, that they can win a World Series championship. And I think we got to know on the front end that La Russa and – uh, Reinsdorf are friends. They're, they they both live in Arizona. They're both friends. They know each other's families very well. And I think that the first time around, La Russa shouldn't have been fired, but Hawk Harrelson was the general manager. Oh, boy. He made that, so he made that choice. But it shows you the loyalty of Reinsdorf, right? A, a one-year GM and a fire guy that got you to the pennant in 83, uh, at least to win the division in 83. So, I, I know, I... um. I think that Reinsdorf says, okay, I'm going to right this wrong. I'm going to get a guy that I want. Keep in mind, this is not a Rick Hahn hire. This is what this is what Jerry wanted. He wanted his friend to be the manager, the front face of this organization with this young group and mixed with veterans. Now, now peep this. He's doing this, Mario, in the eyes of a pandemic where mm-hmm. there's nobody at ballparks and no, no revenue coming in, but yet he's spending money that's not there. He's spending money and going deep into the coffers to try to put a winner on the field for Tony. He didn't do that for Rick Renneria. He didn't do that for Robin. He didn't do that for Ozzy as much, quite frankly, because that 05 championship came out of nowhere. But he's digging deep for Tony. So, listen, I have my reservations. I've said it on the air on the White Sox flagship now that I have reservations about Tony being the manager because of his off-the-field shenanigans. 
And also, I need to know whether or not he has uh, turned an about face about how he deals with and manages African-American players. So, you know, the, the hope is, is that no matter what goes on with Tony, this team can win and find a way to win a championship, no matter who the manager is. Because I tell you what, for Sox fans to say I'm not going to the games or I'm pissed off that LaRusse is the manager and all that, so I'm not going, that's nonsense. I'm rooting for the players in the field. Even if I don't feel as strongly for Tony, it's fine. I'm rooting for the team because it's always a team first. I will be there. If they let people back in, you put your money on it, I'll be at a game because that's I, that's my team. So yes. I'll show up. And, and I mean, we'll see. I, I, I'm... I'm I'm so confident that they're going to win this division this year. I've never been this. I mean, never have I thought they were going to win a division like I do now. I'm I'm almost 100% sure if this goes the way I think it's going to go, they're going to win it, and they're going to find a way to win it in grand fashion. Really would like for them to figure out how to put either Nelson Cruz or Ozuna in that lineup. Uh, It'd be nice, but, you know, I think they're going to do it. Um, Really quickly. Uh, the Chicago Bears are, are an abomination, but there's yes. an opportunity, perhaps, um, for them to to do something. One in the draft, where they can get an offensive lineman that can be an actual left tackle that really plays left tackle and has been playing it since he was like six years old, and Pop Warner, um, and maybe get a decent free agent quarterback to supplant the fact that they might miss out on one in the draft. I think they got four picks. Um, in this in this upcoming draft, they picked twentieth in the first round. Um, it, 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 the team's a big mess, and then you see what happens up in Green Bay. They 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 keep kicking the Bears' ass and winning divisions, yet they can't win that Alice Trophy to save their life. Um, and I, I think if you're going to be honest with yourself, the idea is you want to build your team to win your division which is to beat Green Bay. And they don't seem to be anywhere near that. What's your quick assessment on the Chicago Bears? <laughs> I don't know well, why I'm I, laughing. Yeah, no, well, you know, here's the thing. Like, um, from the Packers' standpoint, they do a really good job of winning in the NFC North, being the Lions, the Vikings, and the Bears. That's great, but that's the booby prize. That's like being the valedictorian of your summer school class. You, mm. beat, the, you beat the NFC North, cool. But now it's about being the NFC. And, you know, the thing, Mario, that I think about is from as seamless as it was from Favre to Rodgers as far as quarterback for the Packers, they've won two championships, two Super Bowls, uh, which is which is just amazing with all the talent that the Packers have had since Favre retired and now over to Rodgers. So from the Bears standpoint, you know, they have when you anytime that you have an organization has more questions than answers, uh, you have some troubles. Uh, I don't know who the quarterback is for the Bears for 2021. I don't know who the number one wide receiver is. Can Allen Robinson can leave? They can tag him. Uh, they can do a lot of different things. Uh, you look at the defensive side of the football, I'm not sure who they're going to have to supplement issues in their secondary. Uh, I don't know if they can get a pass rush. They, anytime that you see on paper that Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack are on the same team, you would think both these teams, both those guys can eat, right? You'd think, yep. okay. For sure, you got a, a quality patch. And all I kept hearing this past season was, well, I'm Eddie Goldman. Well, damn, if, if, if Eddie Goldman is that great, then he's an all-pro every year. And I don't think that he is. So uh, there's there's so many questions about this team. But what we are noticing here in the final four leading into the Super Bowl is 
is that you have to be able to get it right offensively, man. If, mm-hmm. if you don't have the quarterback, you don't have anything. I, I don't care how good your running back is with Montgomery or how good Mooney can be. And by the way, on Twitter, every time I see Mooney do something, I put up a a, a, a gif of Paul Mooney. Only, <laughs> only 10% of the people get that, but I, I like Paul Mooney. You know? Me too. <laughs> I like saying the N-word. I like saying the N-word. It makes my teeth white. Um, <laughs> That's right. So, That's so, so, so I, I just, you know, that, so you have all these questions. And so because of that, um, that's the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm concerned with. Draft or not, do you have difference makers? And just keep in mind, there's a difference between getting plays in and players. But you have to be able to invest in the players. And the Bears are investing in plays. That's a problem. Like, you, you need the players to be able to, to put those plays in place. And uh, unfortunately, the, the, the Bears lean toward analytics and fancy plays versus trying to get actual production done on the field. Super Duper is coming up because apparently you can't say the name or you'll go to jail or something. Uh, Super Duper is coming up, and it's the, the battle of uh, the, Tom Brady. I'm so tired. And my man, Patrick Mahomes. Um, I'm, I'm liking the Chiefs in this game only because I think the Chiefs, the team, can beat the story and fable of Brady, the quarterback. Um, I don't think I don't think Tampa Bay is going to be able to keep up uh, defensively with whatever Mahomes decides to do uh, behind center on on Super Sunday. Who you like? I like Mahomes because it is the storyline is the goat against the kid. Of course, mm-hmm. the kid is a small goat, is a baby goat, right? <laughs> so I, I like the idea of the kid beating the goat. And when I'm watching Patrick Mahomes, Mario, let me tell you something. When I'm watching that offense, it's like I'm watching basketball in cleats. Yes. So so the parallel is that in this last game on Sunday, the, the Kansas City Chiefs takes on Buffalo Bills, and Buffalo is has a 9 nothing lead after the first quarter. And it's kind of like, that's not enough to beat them. 10 points ain't enough. Uh, 15 points ain't enough, 20, 25 points are not enough because if Kansas City gets behind, you expect this this really fast, high-octane offense to get it done. And so, and Patrick Mahomes, man, what, what a great story, a second-generation athlete. Um, for him to be able to have all those weapons, whether it's his tight end, his wide receivers, it, it is just a fast-moving offense. And that's where teams wish they had that type of mentality and that, that type of production to be able to say, okay, we've got plays, but we got the players to run these plays. That's what I mean by that. And so they got Hill. I have, I, I mean, he's the fastest guy in the world to, to me. I mean, you just do the ABAB up down button. All of a sudden he's in the end zone. He's that quick. Right. Uh, he's, he's a video game. So I, I, I'm leaning Kansas city for this because I just think their offense is way too much. Even for a good defense now from the Buccaneers, I just think Kansas City will have the edge. I tend to agree with you, my friend. Jonathan Hood can be heard every day on ESPN 1000 uh, on the Cap and Hood show. 
although I call it the hood and caption, on the cabin hood <laughs> every day on the new home of the Chicago White Sox. I have always, always, always loved listening to you do your thing, and I'm really glad to get caught up with you again. My best to your lovely wife, who just celebrated birthday not too long ago. Yeah. And, and yes, please tell her I said hello. And uh, I hope to see you when this is all over with, man. We can have us a, a Black Radio People Summit. Me, you, oh, yeah. Golf, Kyle from GCI, Lawrence. Yes. <laughs> all, all seven of us can sit down. Yes, and there's more places to eat now. Uh, so oh. you can show us some of those frou-frou, high-level high, uh, places now uh, in oh, your fair, fair side of town. First of all, let's let's take it easy. I, I got I got I got a couple places. I don't. I, I, I if only I lived the life that people have in their head that I live, I would be out here just look. See, I know with all the fruit without the fruit fruit. See, I know. See, the audience doesn't know, but I I know, and, and I can will tell everybody. I will bust you out. I will tell the. I'm gonna tell you right now. Mario is not happy with the regentrification in his side of town. Not at he all. Was, he was happy with just rolling into Jimmy's or Mellow Yellow. That's and right. Going, playing a, a game of pool and then leaving. He That's wasn't. He's not interested in all the high buildings and the and the uh, dresses. <laughs> these places where no one goes into to buy dresses. He wasn't happy with that at all. He was not happy. There was uh, a day. There was a day when my beloved Hyde Park was just so dope. It's still dope, but it was. A day. Hey, he man. misses. He misses his ribs and bibs, everybody. I'm just letting you know, right? <laughs> I don't. I don't eat ribs and bibs, but I. I can't act like I never saw, uh, Lynn Burton for certain pull up in his big, Cadillac at ribs and bibs once or twice <laughs> in my life. Hey man, thanks so much for being on the show, and I will definitely have you back on again. And. Uh, I'm serious about all of us getting together and, and, and having some pops and stuff one of these days soon. I would love that. Anytime, Mario. I appreciate you having me. Right on, man. Thank you. Jonathan Hood, everybody. It's news from the service entrance, the radio show, 105.5 FM. This is Lumpin' Radio.